Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we're joined by our teaching pastor, Ian Simpkins, as we conclude our series, Explore God. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. And also on Monday nights at 6.30 p.m. We hope to see you there. Good evening, community. How are you feeling tonight? You guys, you look good. It's been a while. I, have, I haven't taught in roughly 14 years here. Um, I'm just kidding. I was gone because we had a baby. And uh, thank you so much. Here's a, an adorable picture of them right here. Uh, there's my two kids. There's my eldest, Owen. And here's our newest addition, Redmond. Um, that's a pretty cute picture, right? We can all admit that's a cute picture. Um, seconds after I took this photo, Owen sneezed right in his face and then headbutted him accidentally. So that's the kind of month I'm having right now. Um, but like really, truly, honestly, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for the messages and the emails and the notes and the meals and the cards. Um, we have felt so loved by this family here. So thank you so much for caring for my family so well. And uh, ha- having kids has, has really done two things to me. One, um, I cry at everything now, just everything. It doesn't matter if it's even sad. I just cry at the drop of a hat. But two, uh, it's got me thinking about my own childhood a lot, mostly like with remorse. Like I feel like I'm apologizing to my parents a lot more these days just for things that I'm recalling. And it made me think, um, I'm curious what kind of childhood you all had. Like, like just a quick show of hands. How many would you, would you say that uh, you were a goody two-shoes growing up? You were a goody two-shoes when you were a kid. Right, right? That's okay. <laughs> Nerds. I'm kidding. Um, Okay, so how many of you uh, would say you were not a good at two-shoes, you were a little bit of a troublemaker? Let's raise, don't, yeah, don't lie, Jesus can see you. Um, okay, so it's maybe not a surprise, I was probably in the latter category, I was always getting into trouble, and uh, one of the stories that I was reminded of, I was 16 years old, and uh, we waited till my parents went to bed, and we stole the family van, and hold on, we're not there yet, um, so I'm from a family of like 40 people. So the van that we actually had was a 15-passenger van. It was a, it was a shuttle van, the same van that they used at the airport. That was our van. So, you know, you put it into neutral and you push it quietly out the driveway. You wait till you're a couple houses away to start it so you don't wake up your parents. Kids, do not take notes on that part. I should not have been telling you that at all. What we and my friends did, though, is we stole the van and then we stole those construction barrels, those big orange construction barrels and we closed off freeway entrances, is what we did for the next five hours. We closed off three or four major freeway exits, and I'm sure we uh, really ruined someone's morning. And we, of course, were 16 and thought that was hilarious. It was not. That next morning, uh, I awoke to my mom screaming my name from upstairs. And you know, you know how you can tell when you're in trouble? It's not just like a, hey, I made bacon, come on up. It's like, you're about to lose a limb, come on up. Like That's about to get really intense for you. My mom called me up, and um, what I didn't realize was that my buddy, while we were out stealing road barrels, had also stolen a stop sign and thrown it in the backyard. He, he stored it in the middle of our backyard, and my mom knew right away that I had something to do with that. So she grounded me, I'm sure, for a month or whatever, but I tried to preempt that by doing the dishes every night without her asking, and I would always make sure to like be at the dishes when she walked into the room so she could see her son nicely doing the dishes. And she would never say anything until after about a week and a half of this, uh, I just cleaned the dishes and I saw her walk in and she looked at me and she said, thanks for doing the dishes, Uh, you're still grounded. And I realized that that wasn't just something that I did in my childhood, that I think a lot of us, we, we carry this sort of like balancing act mentality into adulthood, don't we? 
Like a lot of us live relationally by Newton's law. You guys know what Newton's law is, right? This is what Newton's law simply says. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So when we do something bad, we're often try to, we try to do something good to kind of counterweight a little bit. For example, anyone, has anyone here ever like been telling your kids to get their shoes on 37 times and they still won't get it on and you lose it on them? Anybody ever had that moment? Yeah. Okay. So you've told them 37 times, um, they still won't do it and you scream at them and, uh, well, you feel, you feel bad about that, right? I lost it on my kids. I shouldn't have done that. I feel really bad. So later in the day, as you're driving there in the back and you yell over your shoulder, hey, who wants ice cream, right? Anyone ever done that? Maybe I can, maybe I can make up for this bad thing I did in the morning. Or how about if you ever blown off a friend, either accidentally or intentionally, like you, you forgot to return their call, you forgot to return their text message, right? You feel bad about it. You're like, that's a friend, that's a person that I legitimately care about, or maybe, maybe I don't, I just don't have, the, I don't have the spine to tell them. So I, I blow them off, I feel bad about that, but then you like, then you run into them accidentally, right? Like at the grocery store, and now it's awkward because you're the one that blew them off. And so you're like, oh my gosh, is that a new haircut? Is that a new shirt? You look great. Have you lost weight? Oh my goodness, right? <laughs> Trying to make up for the bad with, with some good to ho- hopefully kind of balance the scales. What if, let's say, you accidentally play for your kids like a really terrible band? I don't know. Just call out a band that's really terrible. You can... I heard Nickelback. Okay, sure. So, <laughs> so let's say you accidentally played for them Nickelback, right? And then you, you feel bad about that. And that just... That's really, you know, that's probably not enough for Nickelback. That's probably more like this. Probably these guys here too. Just, you played them Nickelback. You repented. And you, I mean, you get the point. You feel, you feel real bad about it, right? Well, that's hopeless. You can't, there's nothing you can do to fix that. That's it. They're, they're, they're a goner. My, my point is this. Uh, so often we do this in relationships. We live with sort of this balancing scale mentality that if I, I do a little bad, then I have to make up with some, some good here. And we play this um, in some way, shape, or form with almost everybody. And what it does is it leaves us kind of always guessing where we're at with people, doesn't it? Like it kind of keeps the scorecard like, do I owe you or do you owe me And the problem is, a lot of us, we assume that God functions the same way. So we bring this sort of like scale model mentality into our relationship with God. And I think it really does one of three things. We can strive towards one of three things when we understand our relationship with God in relationship to a scale. The first category I'll call perfection. I think some of us Maybe it was how we were raised, or maybe it was the church we attended growing up, or it was a book we read, but we, we strive just for absolute perfection. I have to keep everything off the scales at all times, no sin, no error. I have to be flawless. I have to be perfect. And God forbid I ever actually do make a mistake, well, I instantly need to, I need to counteract that. I need to join a team or volunteer or you know, sponsor a puppy for 38 cents a month, a month or whatever you, whatever you do. It's, we've got to be perfect. Maybe the next category we could call good enough. The good enough person often says things like, well, I'm, I'm basically a good person, right? Like we're not going to pretend that we're perfect. So we, we know that we've done some bad things in our lives, but our hope is that at the end of the day, 
man, my, my good will outweigh the bad. That's sort of the hope that we live in. God, I'm fingers crossed, I hope that I'm good enough. I, I hope that at the end of my life here, the good outweighs the bad enough that I can squeak by into heaven or whatever afterlife that you believe in. The third category I'll call the give up category. The give up category not only doesn't admit that they're not perfect, but admits and they believe there's nothing they could ever do. They, they are so far gone. They've made so many mistakes. There is no hope of redemption, of healing, of growth. And I'll, I'll be really honest. I, I've been in this category before. You step back and you, you look at the stuff that you've done or the stuff that's been done to you and you think, there's just no way God could ever use me. There's no way God's even interested in me. The bad side is far too stacked up. There's nothing that God could want with me. All three of these lead to the same destination. They all lead to hopelessness. Ultimately, some get us faster there than others. But ultimately, relating to God in the scale system of perfection or good enough or give up all leads to discontentment. And if you walked away from a God that relates to you based on scales, good. Because that's not actually God. If you at some point in your life walked away from a God that relates to us based on this scale system, that's a good thing that you walked away because that's not actually God. The truth of the matter is that we've all loaded up the bad side. We've all done things to sever this relationship with the one who made us. Every single one of us, regardless of your background or your context, we've all loaded up the bad side. In fact, listen to how uh, the Apostle Paul writes it. He says, for all have sinned. That word all, I looked it up in the Greek. It literally means all. It means all. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Translation, every single person who has ever lived or will ever live falls short of the standard of perfection. The full glory and righteousness of God, no person is ever able to fully accomplish. Elsewhere in Romans 3, Paul says this. He says, there's no one righteous, not even one. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. So there's this law that he's referencing, and it was hundreds of laws you'd have to maintain in order to be pure, to be righteous. And what he's saying is, if you're honest, you should hold your life up to the standard of the law and in a moment of self-reflection say, man, I'm not even close. The point of the law is to reveal to us that on our own, we couldn't even get close. If you look at the law, even just maybe particularly in the Old Testament, 638 laws, and you thought to yourself, man, I'm doing pretty great. I think I'm batting a thousand. That's not the point Paul's making here. He's saying, under the law, no one is able to save themselves. No one is righteous, not even one. There's nothing that we can do to balance out the scales. But here's what God does. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, hold on to that phrase there, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. That in him, we might become the righteousness of God. He made him who had no sin, who was perfect and blameless to be sin on our behalf so that we could have peace with God 
and peace with others. I hope you're tracking with this because this is so much more profound than simply a balancing of scales. Jesus didn't come simply just to take some weight off of the bad side, right? He, He didn't just take some off the bad side. He didn't even just put some here on the good side. The point here isn't that he just took some off the bad and put some on the good. He's here to like level the scales or to maybe hopefully just tip them a little bit in our favor. None of those actually capture what Jesus came to do. Jesus isn't interested in taking some bad off the bad side, adding some good to the good side. Here's what Jesus came to do at the cross. He reached out his hands. Jesus abolishes the scale system entirely. When we get caught playing this balancing act of, am I good enough? Am I holy enough? Am I righteous enough? Jesus says, you're not even playing the right game anymore. God loved us so much that he'd rather die than live without us and sent not a rule book, not a philosophy, not an idea, but himself to die on our behalf so that we may live. And not only live, but that we may know God. Do you realize how freeing that is? If the scale system has been dismantled, it means I get to opt out of the rat race. I get to hop off the treadmill of always trying to be holy enough and smart enough and righteous enough. It means that in Christ, we're free. We're loved. We're accepted. We're welcomed. We're set free. That's the gospel of Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. It's when we stop focusing on what we do and what God has done. So Romans 3.23, as you remember, started this way, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But he goes on, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. This redemption is a free gift. Our identity as beloved children of God is a free gift. Our identity is received, not achieved. It's not about balancing scales at all. It's life, new life, resurrected life, given freely to us. You understand now why people wanted to kill these early Christians. There was a whole system of balancing scales, and then these fishermen come along and say, no, 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 it's grace. He's dismantled the entire scale system altogether. That's the good news, that it's grace, that it's freely given. And when we discover that we don't have to balance the scales, we can be free to understand that God is going after our heart. That's what he's after. God's dream has always been not just for us to obey him, but for us to know him, to know him fully and completely. Centuries before Jesus walked the earth, prophet Jeremiah wrote some interesting things about what God intended to do for his people. And he writes this, he says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Did you catch this right here in the middle? They will all know me. They will all 
know me. Just a couple of verses later, he links it to forgiveness, right? That we will be found blameless. God would be a terrible bookkeeper. It says the sins, the stuff, the mistakes, anything you've loaded up on the bad side, he's forgotten it. He's cast it aside. He's not even using the scale system. And he says, my people will know me. Now, it's interesting because this word know in English um, tends to sort of imply just like cerebral knowledge, right? Like the way that we talk about know, it's usually like, do you know the answers to the test or do you know what time this thing starts or do you know the address? It's always very cerebral, very mental. But the Hebrew word here for know is actually way more enigmatic than that. It, It implies like emotion. It implies like intimacy and closeness. In fact, there's a a Jewish scholar named Abraham Heschel, and he he describes this this word know like this. He says, it's an act involving concern, inner engagement, dedication, or attachment to a person. That also means to have sympathy, pity, or affection for someone. So it's not just this, oh, they'll know about me. They'll have trivia about God, about the one who set them free. It's like, no, no, I I want them to know me deeply, to know me personally. Can I know God? Yes, I believe that it's fully at the heart of his dream for us. Like think about the way that a a parent knows their child. The parent doesn't just have facts and trivia about their child. That that parent knows their child. Think about two friends that like know each other incredibly, that have like walked through thick and thin together. Think about the difference between like Stevie Ray Vaughan and someone who plays a lot of Guitar Hero. Does that make sense? You guys know who Stevie Ray Vaughan is? Maybe one of the greatest blues players of all time. Anyone here like an avid guitar hero player? Yeah, that's the safe place. That's okay. You could play hours of guitar hero, and you maybe have a sense of like what the guitar looks like and the shape and the feel and like what it sounds like. But by comparison, you may know about the guitar, but man, Stevie Ray Vaughan knows the guitar. It's a massive difference. That's the word that's used here that God desires for us not just to have knowledge about him or tweetable quotes considering him, but that to know him and to know him personally, to know him intimately. That's his invitation for us. I think that's God's dream for everyone, to be honest. I think it always has been. You go all the way back to Genesis, the dream has always been relationship, intimacy, so this, this is my challenge for you tonight. It's just one challenge. The challenge is this. Quit trying to balance the scales. Quit trying to balance the scales and trust Jesus. Some of you, maybe you've heard that for the 10th time or you've never heard that at all. Some of you walk through those doors with a smile on your face but with a devastated heart because you're sick and tired of never knowing where you stand, making sure that the good outweighs the bad, that you're on this constant treadmill of trying to be smart enough, good enough, holy enough, righteous enough. Quit trying to balance the scales. We were never intended to do that in the first place. To rest either for the first time or the hundredth time. That in Christ... You lack nothing. You lack nothing. And if you need a reminder of who you are in Christ, here are a couple of things to hold on to. And in Christ, you are forgiven. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're a part of God's family. You're a child of God. You are accepted. You are free. You are a new creation. 
You are irreplaceable. You are set apart. You are God's masterpiece. You are free from condemnation. You are made complete. You are worth dying for and you are loved. The truest thing about you is that you're loved. The truest thing about you is not what's on the good side or the bad side. You are far more than your greatest failures or your greatest successes. Before any of those things, you are loved. The God who spoke the world into existence looks at you and says, you are loved. I can't think of anything more freeing than realizing that when I could never balance out the scales myself, the one who knows me better than anybody sees all of my wounds, all of my scars, all of my stupid mistakes. He says, yeah, I see all of that. I still died for you. And I would do it again. God who loves us so much, he'd rather die than live without us. I think Augustine put it best. He said this, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. Finding our way back to God is not about learning how to play the game to balance the scales. It's about resting in the one who calls us home. Would you pray with me, please? God, thank you that in you we are far more than what we could ever accomplish on our own And I know, God, I I need those reminders regularly. God, so whatever kind of day, week, month, or year that any of us are having, would, would you just cut through all the fog, all the noise, all the voices that are saying something different and remind us that we're loved, even if that script is coming from us. And if we're here, we're thinking that we're too far gone, would you remind us, God, that the end of our rope is the beginning of grace? We feel like we are nearing our end, that we're coming undone. Help us to loosen our white knuckle grip on on trying to be good enough on our own and to rest in the finished work of the cross. God, we thank you that you have loved us well beyond what we could ever possibly dream or imagine, well beyond what we could ever deserve. And God, I'm finding day after day, you love us more than I even understand that word love. Help us to rest fully in that, God. And we pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.